A toast, a toast, my friends, to our health and cheer and happiness. Otto, let the ritual begin. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and joining me this week, I had to I had to pull in a professional, I had to pull in an actual critic to help me with this movie, and I'm going to introduce him in just one second, but first I just want to say that we are available podcast platform out there that you might be interested in. Um, you can get links to your favorite podcast platform through our website on ACAST. We're available on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Skitcher, pretty much everywhere that you find podcasts. If there's a place that uh, you would like us to get the show on, we'll do our best to accommodate you. You can contact me on Twitter at CultFilmComp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Join our Facebook group at the Cult Film Companion on Facebook. You can uh, find us on Instagram at the Cult Film Companion. Email us at the Cult Film Companion at gmail.com. And we are a featured podcast on two websites that I want to mention uh, Blind Knowledge at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great creative collective of podcasters and videocasters and music and all sorts of great stuff. If you've got a particular itch that you're looking to scratch, check out theblindknowledge.com for an amazing assortment of shows. And we are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse from articles from topics that you choose you can follow topics as specific as you would like, from sports to science to Bitcoin to the Kardashians to movies. And they got podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 different countries. Our podcast, The Cold Film Companion, is there as a featured podcast. Download and use Newsly for free now from the website www.newsly.me or from the link in the description. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. Drop the eye, pop in a one cult film, and you get a month free premium subscription from Newsly. So thank you to Newsly and thank you to the Blind Knowledge Collective. And thank you to my very special guest. Like I said, I needed to pull in a professional for this episode. We're covering a movie from 2001, a little movie called Josie and the Pussycats. But before we dive into Josie and the Pussycats, I want to introduce my uh, very special guest. Like I said, I needed a professional. So I've got Kevin, the critic, here with me. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to doing this. So uh, could you uh, briefly introduce yourself and your history of um, movie loving and movie critiquing? Absolutely. Uh, my, I, my name is Kevin the Critic. I have been I have been reviewing films since I was ten years old. So I've been doing this all the way since two thousand five. I wrote for a local newspaper back home until I went to college, and in twenty fifteen, I I started a I started hosting all my reviews on a WordPress site with and. Uh, set up Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages so that I could reach other film people and just get my work out there. 
and you know just continue talking and writing about film any time of day every day awesome so um i'm gonna make sure that we have the link to your website and your twitter in the episode description so people reach out give kevin some love check out his check out his um reviews and what i noticed on twitter you're you you'll review anything you review the latest movies and then you you review movies out of the blue that i just see up there popped up on twitter it's a lot of fun yeah i'm just kind of i'm just kind of like you know hey whatever whatever i'm feeling that given night that that's what i'm reviewing you know or even or like if a movie is so bad that i can't finish it or something like i won't give it a full review obviously but i'll say like hey i tried this I, I attempted it. I couldn't finish. That's it. And then you you, you tap out like like yeah, a, like, any, out, yeah like, like any professional I mean, one. Yeah, because that's the thing. Because like last week I, I tried to watch the Ugly Truth, and I liked Gerard Butler and I liked Catherine Heigl and I liked the director of that film, and I turned it on. And I was like, you know, yeah, this is just it's just bad. You know, this is just bad. Yeah. Like, and I don't and I don't want to like. I like to come at movies and be like okay, what do you do, like, what are you trying to be, and how successful do I think you are at being that thing? That's basically how I approach movies. I like that. And and I was looking at it, I was looking at The Ugly Truth, I was like, okay, this is a romantic comedy, which is a genre that I like, but I don't like these characters very much, and the <laughs> raunchy humor isn't working for me, and I like raunchy humor, but this just wasn't working for me, so I was like, you know what? I'm sorry, I, I tried it. Um, you know, nothing against anybody that worked on it. I'm sure they had a fun time, but it was like, sorry, I'm not reviewing. I'm not reviewing this because I just, I, I can't get through this. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, of a movie, I, I actually that I didn't think that I was going to be able to get through, but I actually. Um, so we're talking about Josie and the Pussycats, which came out April 11th, 2001. It was written and directed by Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, who previously had worked together on a movie called... Oh, gosh. Something... Uh, can't Hardly Wait. I was having a brain, oh, this, brain oh, this fart. Was them? Yeah. That, that was them, too? Yeah. Okay, wow. That's that's really cool. I like I like that movie, too. That's, that, I thought that was a pretty fun movie. I saw, I saw that... Probably the first time, I think, one or two years ago, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. So, um, and that you pretty much just summed up how I view Josie and the Pussycats. This movie is far better than it probably has any right to be, but yeah. it's a it's a really fun movie, and it's a blast, and it bombed when it first came out. Um, yeah, that's uh, sad. Like, I actually, I watched a video... A few months ago, I was just kind of cruising through YouTube, and I saw, uh, I don't know what the title was, but I saw some video on this movie, and, you know, it was about kind of the, what they were trying to do with the movie, and how the studio mismarketed the thing severely, and apparent, I want to say that the director was so, di the directors were, like, so displeased with how the movie was marketed that they just decided to step away from filmmaking. I, I think you're right. I don't think that they've worked in film since. I think one of them has done like a Netflix show. But we're gonna talk about it. this movie affected a lot of careers. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's so funny watching this movie now because of like the references they make and who they have starring in it. 
and how many of them are some of them are still working now and some of them are just kind of relics of the 2000s very very true um yeah we've got we got a great cast here though we have rachel lee mm-hmm. cook we have Tara Reid and Rosario Dawson. Um, I'm especially a fan of Rosario Dawson as an actress. I think she's phenomenal. And yes, I, as am I. They are they are the titular Josie and the Pussycats. But we've also got a great supporting cast, especially Alan Cumming, who I think steals oh. this movie. Um, yes. And Parker Posey, who again <laughs> in her scenes she steals these movies. Jeez. She is on another level in this entire movie. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those movies that I think that she might have been in the, I don't know how much, I actually think that the majority of the cast knew what kind of movie they were making, but I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head that this was a mismarketed movie. And don't get me wrong, this movie, I was never the demographic for this movie. I wasn't. No, no, neither was. <laughs> neither. Yeah. Um, neither no, of us. Like, like 27 year old guys are not the market for the Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> movie, nor are like 13 year old boys. No. At the time when I saw this. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those movies that, like, I just kind of came across it because, you know, I, I, you know, as the title implies, I cover cult movies on here, and I don't usually cover things that are too mainstream, but I always go by. The kind of thing that I came up with when I developed the show is that a true cult movie can come from any director, it can come from any studio, and it can have any, you know, stars in it. It's just, there's an intangible where a movie kind of becomes this cult thing, and this movie came up on a cult list, and I was like, when I first, I didn't, I thought it was a joke at first, I was like, maybe (laughs) somebody sneak this in, like, to the list of cult movies, and then I started reading about it, and I was like, okay, I kind of get where this, this movie's coming from. And I hadn't watched this movie up until a couple of months ago, and I've, I've watched it a couple times now, most recently, to prepare for this show. But uh, I think it's one of those things that don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge Josie yeah. and the Pussycats. I mean, we're talking about a movie based on comic book and cartoon characters from the 60s and early 70s. And oh, man, that's how old it is? Yeah. I mean, uh, they were... A, <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats were a spinoff from the Archie comics. I think, if I my notes are correct, the Archie kind of comics, all Riverdale, Archie and Veronica, Jughead, I think th- that all started in 62... Or maybe that was the cartoon series. But then Josie and the Pussycats, I think, came around in 67, 68, 69. Uh, But Hollywood has this weird kind of thing where every once in a while they'll dust off this old um, intellectual property. And I kind of, I would lump this in with the kind of movie. Are you familiar with the Brady Bunch movie? Well, I, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I am, I'm somewhat familiar with it. It was, I, I if I want to say, I've read it was kind of a parody of the show. It or is something, and people didn't. And I've, I've never seen it, so I had, I can't speak too much on it. But like, from what I understand and what I've read, it, it was a parody of the show and its tropes. It is that nobody, that nobody really got the time, and then it's become more respected as the years went by. 
Right, because it's again, you know, we're going to talk about the marketing for this movie being mismarketed. It's kind of tough to market. I wouldn't want to market a Brady Bunch movie because, yeah, the jokes are all kind of the Brady Bunch themselves are still stuck in the 70s or the 60s, whenever they they were popular. But the rest of the world is set in a modern time. So we've got like these throwback hippie people living in the modern society so yeah it's the kind of movie that all right they know what they're they kind of know what they're doing they didn't they don't really pander to you and again i i kind of want you to talk about some of the i was surprised at some of the humor in this movie what they got away with Uh, sorry um no i just i want you to because you saw this at a as a younger at a younger age, yeah, and you it, said... Yeah, you know, probably like 10 or something. I think I was like 8 or 10 when I first saw this. And as a kid, as a kid, I probably just enjoyed all of the, like, all of the colors and all of the movement and everything like that. <laughs> right, right. Colorful, this is a very colorful movie. It is, the costumes, yeah. The costumes in this are beautiful, They're but they're, they're very vibrant and very kind of... That's probably, I think the costumes in this, as well as like one direct line that they have in here, do you win the fact this is based on a comic book? Yeah. Um, we got a kind of, I mean, basically, this movie is it's a, a, a very clever satire on consumerism and, and advertising. The, the music in the music industry, I, w- I would say like directly of the music industry. Sure. At that time, to- at that time. And it's very, I would say it is very, uh, of its time in certain ways. Again, mostly in the references they make and how everything, how everybody dresses to an extent, like it's all very 2000, one yes yes yeah. we we this is basically like uh a trl episode on some some nar- either drunk or uh on some gnarly narcotics because we've got yeah we've got it, the movie opens with a great oh just parody parody <laughs> of boy bands we've got this group du jour which uh, which everyone knows that du jour means of the day. Uh, everyone talks about the soup du jour, which is just a perfect on-the-nose name for your boy band because a boy band, I mean, they've got, they, they kind of have, um, they got uh, an expiration date on them. I mean, a boy band, yeah. they can only last while they're still boys for so oh, yeah. long, you know? Yeah, and the thing is about this opening scene with the boy band, I mean, it... I think this is definitely one of those movies where you can te- you're gonna you can tell within about ten minutes whether or not you're gonna be on its wavelength. Absolutely, yes, because yes. The, because the way that this opens up is like it, it like it's a parody of the boy bands and the crazy fans that they accumulate, and you know all and I love the casting that they have on this boy band too. Yes, they've got like. They've got Donald Faison from Scrubs in there. They got Breckin Meyer in there. I'm pretty sure they got Seth Green in there. I don't know who the other guy is. I was, off the top of my head. Yeah, you know what? It's very. It's almost like a real boy band where you kind of have like, <laughs> like you have like the breakout stars of a boy band. Like I'm not sure yeah. which which one that Justin Timberlake comes from, but I just know he's N Sync. Okay, N Sync. But I'm not. But it just—it's kind of weird to me. Like when you look at Dujour, like they kind of have like the flashy ones, and then they have that one, like 
just like I, I always remember, like, I think it's the Backstreet Boys. There's like one guy that seems curiously out of place. Like he doesn't belong yeah, there. There's a and and the, and that's kind of like what we get with Dujour. Like we've got Seth Green and Breckenmeyer and Donald Faison hamming it up, and then you got like this one guy. You're just like, he seems out of place. Cause like I yeah I I could name those three actors off the top of my. I'm like oh my god, it's Seth Green, it's Breckenmeyer, it's Donald Faison, and the other guy. I'm like I have no idea. We had her back then in 2001. They were still kind of rising up. So it could have been. So it's, we, we only say, oh my God, it's them because those three guys went on to do stuff that was like kind of major. Right. You, you, you know what? You're, so yeah, I, you, this is why I need a professional to help me with this movie. Thank you so much you, for like making my rambling statement. You're absolutely right. Like I'm, I'm looking at it through 2022 eyes and that's probably not the case um, but so, yeah, this has got to be like Seth Green. Well, Seth Green had pretty much blown up, uh, with oh, was Buffy. He blew up with, like, Buffy. He was on a few seasons of Buffy. Okay. And he had had a few movies. The Austin, yeah, pa- the- Austin Power movies. Austin Powers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's a Scotty von Austin Powers. Right. So, yeah, it's, it, it's very funny to see him as <laughs> he's got, like, He's got this such this bizarre hairstyle going on <laughs> in this scene, <laughs> where it's like they're trying to hide that it's him, but you know it's him because right. nobody else has that like distinctive face and orange hair. <laughs> right, and then like, and then we like you said though, like within the first ten minutes, you know what kind of movie this is. We've got a a stereotypical boy band. We got their jet. They go into their jet that has <laughs> their jet of product placement. There is so much like. And I'm I'm sure this is purposeful. Purposeful product product placement is all over this jet and all over the movie. So I I I so I listened. I actually watched the movie this afternoon with the director's commentary. I wanted to get some of the background here with the movie. There is approximately seventy three companies, none of which paid for product placement. At at oh. yeah, they at one time. That's... So. They considered at one point doing all fake products for their movie, um, but then they decided, no, nah, you know what? We we our whole point is uh, we're kind of we're taking a poke at uh, American consumerism and advertising and all that kind of stuff. We're just gonna go for broke and we'll just throw in every single product and logo that we want. And none none of these um, none of these pe- well, according to them, none of the people paid for this, but. Yeah, they're 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 playing every other. I mean, well, every window has got the Target logo above it. I remember that distinctly. <laughs> the, Target logo, the old Target logo is all over this jet. The inside yes, of this jet, and every single shot they have, almost every single shot they have in that in this scene, you can see the Target logo. Yes, and it it's like. <laughs> It's such an eyesore that you just have to come around to you. They intended to do this. Exactly. And that was exactly, they they just kind of, and that's one of the, the criticisms that I do have of this movie. For the most part, I really enjoy it, but I think sometimes it's a little too on the nose. I think sometimes when it's, sure. when it's more subtle with its kind of digs at the music industry, it kind of makes you think about it. I think sometimes that it's a little too on the nose where I'm just kind of like, eh, that's a little too goofy. But, like, for the okay. most part, um, 
I, 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 the humor really lands here. And I immediately was like, I was on board of this movie. The moment the boy band, they, they say there's something wrong with their, our song. We hear something in it and Alan Cumming listens and he, they, he's like, okay, they discovered the subliminal message and he just walks to the front of the plane and his line is, it's time to take the Chevy to the levee, which is a famous Don McLean uh, song lyric from American Pie, which was then, um, either before or after this movie, was uh, a version was done by Madonna, but it's a very well-known music le- lyric. And I, and I was like, what's going on here? And then him and the pilot put on parachutes, they jump out, and the plane crashes. I was like, I'm on, okay, wherever, wherever you go, you're going. Yeah, and that's, it's one of the, again, I think it's one of the, it's definitely, like, I think to Alan Cumming and the way that he's acting, that also kind of helps you realize, okay, what kind of tone is this going to have? It's going to be very, very, very campy. Yes. Not, like, not cartoonish, but it's going to be bordering on it. It's going to be. I think he understands that really really well i think him and parker posey i mean if they i don't if they weren't in the movie and their their parts were played by other people i i'm not sure how much leverage uh, how much mileage i would have gotten out of this movie but he straight up breaks the fourth wall he like looks directly in the camera like on multiple occasions in this movie that you just got to be like okay this movie is they are very well aware of what kind of movie they're making so like if a, once a movie like i i and i love a good music comedy that's like a subgenre that um there's not enough good movies and uh one of my i mean the blues brothers is a classic music comedy and um this is spinal tap is one of my all-time favorite movies uh but this is a great musical comedy and um so we've got, and then we've just got Alan Cumming just chewing the scenery. Um, oh, and then and then Parker Posey later is just like taking the plate of scenery away from him and like gushing into it. Like I think that she's actually she's almost outdoing him. Yeah, I mean she has. Uh, speaking of the costumes, she has just oh like <laughs> she has some outfits in this movie. You're just like no. Like sane, rational human being would ever put on anything like this, but she owns it. Like she just owns no, like, it. She, yeah, and she just feels so comfortable in that. Like, like there's one scene where she's wearing this dress that has a bunch of stuff sticking out the top of it, and every time she turns, it makes a little swishing sound. It it reminds. She also yeah. She, are you talking about? She's got like this thing on her head once that kind of looks like a mobile that you would put her above a baby's crib with like little things that kind of twirl around. It kind of, it looks yeah. like, yeah, it's, I mean, in her performance, I love that she's my, one of my favorite scenes of her is that she's, she's showing, she's like explaining to everyone, um, either advertisers or like politicians or both. The, the, the government. Yeah. She's like showing them their subliminal message video. Hosted by Eugene Levy. <laughs> Eugene Levy, Eugene Le- that. <laughs> but she, there's a there's a shot of her that that like he's Eugene Levy is explaining how they need to use subliminal messages because teenagers are stupid and we got to tell them what to buy. But there's a shot of her 
she just looks absolutely bored <laughs> out of her mind. Like, she's bored of her own, like, video. She's like, i got to show this video again to these people. And, like, that shot was just, like, it was just, like, bril- like they're all standing there watching this video, and she's, like, uh, rolling her eyes like a teenager. It's Whoa. perfect. And I love the fact, too, in that scene that, like, She's so casual, she's so casual, yet confident in explaining to all of these higher-up government people, okay, this is how we're going to manipulate the minds of teenagers to do whatever we want, and the movie is, and the movie just kind of lets the, like, the horror of that just sit there. Yeah, and it's all, like, yeah, and, like, it's hosted by, like, there's this video hosted by Eugene Levy, and it's got, like, cartoons in it, and you're just like, wow, like, but, like, the whole, but, I mean, the whole thing is, like, it's very dark and, and, and ominous until you find out what her ultimate plan is at the end, and, um... Oh, my God. That... And, and we spoil... I mean, people that listen to our show know that we spoil everything, so... But, like, her diabolical plan is, like, to implant subliminal messages about how cool and how popular she should be. And I'm just like, and... of course it is. That's, of course, that's oh. your plan. Now, I will say, I, I, I'm sure people are probably wondering, that sounds that sounds bizarre. Where do Josie and the Pussycats come into this plot? <laughs> yeah, so um, with, so, with yeah. Dujour out of the way, Dujour's onto them, um, he just kind of, he comes across Josie and the Pussycats, and... I, I love, and also, I, sorry, you know, I love the, I love the opening little song with them, with the like, all the little graphics saying who's who and who does what. Right, and right. And then it, it's like this, I think all the songs in here are actually pretty good. They're not they're bad. Really I, they're, they're not like, or, sorry, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I was actually surprised. I did some research about who uh, did the original music, so we've got someone named Dave Gibbs who co-wrote the majority of the original songs, and he's from the power pop group The Gigolo Aunts, but he's worked with quite a few uh, big-name people. And we've also got co-writing credits for some of the songs from Adam Duritz, the lead singer of The Counting Crows. And the songs were, most of them were produced by Babyface, which is who was a huge R&B producer of the... Uh, the 90s and 2000s and his wife was at, is actually one of the producers of this movie but um as this movie tanked yeah I, he never he was like never involved in another <laughs> movie ever again oh, I, I guess like if you were involved in this i would have given anything to be in the room when they were just pitching this movie like okay we're going to make okay so these live action updates or like not live action like these updates of classic 60s shows are in swing right now you know that charlie's angels thing did really well hey i know we hear they're making a scooby-doo movie and i spy movie okay let's do this and i'm just picturing the directors pitching this script idea to the studio and somebody actually agreeing to do it (laughs) and and so i've got here the budget i mean the budget was between 22 to 39 million dollars which i would say it's probably closer to the 22 because in the director's commentary they kind of talk about how some of they had budget limitations but at the time this bombed at the box office this this grossed 14.9 million so this didn't even didn't even recoup 
But like like you said, um, to, as Dujeu was the uh, uh, boy band of the day, the the revival things they were they were popular, and like you said, so, stuff something like Charlie's Angel was a huge hit, you know. So, but I mean, Josie and the Pussycats is a very odd, like obscure kind of thing to to pluck out of obscurity i mean part of my redundancy of the use obscure but like it's not something that has kind of like the cachet or name value that uh the brady bunch had or charlie's angels i mean that was still i mean it's just kind of a weird kind of thing and this is just a a weird kind of movie which i i kind of love how weird this movie is this is a very weird movie, and I think that some of it has actually aged. It, it makes a lot more sense now than it will have in two thousand one. Like all of the fourth, like all of the direct fourth wall breaking and self-referential humor that's in here. Like we're used to that now because Deadpool and Captain Underpants and all these movies are doing it. Back then, I don't think that was a thing that movies did that much, and so people are probably like, "What's going on?" No, if if they were doing it, it was very few and far between. Like you said, that's kind of like I mean, we're yeah, like you said, we're kind of used to it now. But at the time, I mean, at, like I said, Alan Cumming straight up looks into the camera <laughs> at at certain points and just like he, it's like a wink and a nod. But I, I mean, but also, I mean, and I'm just gonna come out and say it. I uh, this movie. For a PG-13 movie, and I get it that it's Josie and the Pussycats, but there's a lot of uh, uh, innuendo in here um, about pussy and about women. Uh, in particular, I one joke that I'm very surprised got passed for a PG-13. In the beginning of the movie, there's a scene where Tara Reid is standing by the side of the road with a sign that says, I love pussy. That causes a car accident, and then she moves the the sign from behind the tree, and it says that I honk if you love Josie, if you love the Pussycats, if you love Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, but if, a, that... when you first see it, all it says is honk if you love pussy, and I'm like, wow, they really went there. Well, and the, and the funniest thing about that is like. So apparently, probably to help recoup the thing's budget, they I know that they released like a family-friendly cut of this movie. I heard that on yes. DVD, and watching it, I was like, "You can't have a friendly, family-friendly cut of this movie. This was never engineered to be a kids movie." No. And that joke would be would have probably been the first one to go, because like, yeah, I don't. I saw that on TV, but I didn't. I I was a kid. I didn't get it. Right. Right. And it, but yeah, that is a really just. That's a really good jack. Like, I love how they build up to that. Like, honk if you love all this other kind of <laughs> stuff, and then they do that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I um, I, I remember when I ordered this, I had the uh, I had the op- option on Amazon which copy I wanted to get, and I I was like, I don't want to see a the the PG family friendly version. Like you said, I think <laughs> that was just a studio trying to. We need. They're like, we need to make some money off of this. This this movie is far dirtier than uh we uh anticipated but uh no i mean if you this is one of the uh, uh this is a pg-13 comedy that really is pg-13 i mean there's i know they had to cut out a lot of prof 
there's not a lot of profanity, but there's enough. No. I mean, uh, but yeah, joke. There's jokes in innuendo like that that really are just kind of like at 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 a certain age. Um, it's almost one of those things I wouldn't want to watch with someone because like, what happens if like if I if I show this to my son or daughter and they're like, "Daddy, that you laughed at that joke, but I don't get it. Why is that funny?" <laughs> Uh, well, uh-oh. And, and I, I'm sure that, like, and of, of course, as most kids do, like, I made my parents watch stuff with me over and over again, and I'm sure my mom was horrified at some of this, mm. but she was like, is, is he getting it? Yeah. And the answer is always no, so it's like, <laughs> okay, you can, you can watch this, because they're going to censor stuff on the TV versions. Um, it, it, I, I saw the PG-13 version, but it was like... My mom knew I wouldn't get the innuendos, okay. so it was like, okay, whatever. There's some the, the swearing is mostly minor. Yeah, I I um, think I, I think the worst. I think I just remember it because I just watched it. But at the end of the movie, <clears throat> Parker Posey gets upset. She calls someone a bastard. But other than that, I don't remember a whole lot of profanity. It's mostly just kind of uh, cl- <laughs> it's clever writing. It's clever innuendo. Uh, that yeah. yeah, I mean that if you get it, you get it, and if you don't. You don't, but I mean that's. I kind of like that these two people. They were just like, uh, we're getting to make a Josie and the Pussycats movie, so we're just gonna like go for it, and we're gonna embrace the kind of like you said, can't. It, it's it's a campy movie, but it's a fun, fun kind of camp, and it's visually it's visually never boring, which I love. No, um, no, there, there's never a. Like there's never a shot in this that looks like oh they just set that up there and there's a lot you know. they did they put a lot of thought into the um the shots and the editing the uh, cinematography was done by Matthew Libatik and it was edited by Peter Tesh- Teschner I'm sure I'm butchering your names I apologize yeah, but um the uh, but yo the shots and the editing it's it's always it's always unique it's never kind of a boring kind of thing i don't remember much about can't hardly wait i think i saw it once probably when it first came out um i remember thinking it was okay but but this movie uh i I just love like like how visually it's so quirky um you got some pretty catchy songs in there um with some 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 big name talent behind the uh the um behind the music uh Speaking of behind the music, there's oh a. Oh my god! That, there's that's, a. That's one of my. That's one of my favorite jokes <laughs> when they do that because again, I knew what behind the music was. Like, I never watched it, but I knew what it was. Yeah. And so cause it's a, it's one of those ubiquitous cultural things that everybody kind of knows. Okay, this is that what that show is. Right. And so when they used that, I was like, "That's genius." And of all things, they 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 par- the Captain and Tennille. I couldn't tell you anything about the Captain and Tennille other than. It's a name that I know that I've heard, but like, it's so it's so perfect. It's so pitch perfect. That's one of the that's one of the better moments in the movie. That I'm just like, wow. Okay, they get it. And there's also a great, there's a great. So, um, speaking of the supporting cast, we've got Alexander and Alexandra. Alexander is the original manager of Josie and the Pussycats played by Paulo Costanzo, and Alexandra is portrayed by Missy Pyle. 
But one of my favorite lines in this movie is he looks at her. They're on a pl- on the airplane after they sign with Alan Cummings' character. And he goes, why are you here? And her response is, because I was in the comic book. And his response yes, is, what? <laughs> and she goes, nothing. I love that. That scene, that line is one of my favorite lines because it's like the most... Alan Cummings has one line later, but it's like, that is one of the, I love that they just admitted that, like, okay, we've got this character here, why? Oh, because they were in the original source material. And I, only this movie could pull that off. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I, and a lot of people were um, were comparing this to, movie kind of to a, a Spice World, which was kind of the Spice Girls movie. Uh, yeah. I, I saw the Spice Girls movie, I was like, I don't... That is one of the strangest movies I think I've ever seen in my life, and I can't remember much of it. I, the only thing I remember was, like, an alien comes down at one point, and then the end credits, the Spice Girls are, like, talking to you, I think. So it's kind of, it kind of tries to be weird for the sake of weird, and it's not nearly as clever no, as, I mean, there was a, I, I don't think there was a lot of thought put into Spice World. I think that was kind of like a prod, a product, they were like, Spice Girls are popular. We can make money if we turn them into a movie. This movie is just kind of like, we're going to make fun of the fact that you're turning the Spice Girls into a movie. Like, they just, they're just making fun of the music industry. They make fun of movies. Um, it's just, I, I just think this, this movie is um, so much, uh, and I, it's, it's, it's kind of a concealed compliment, but. It's better than it has kind of any right to be. Like if you think well, of think of what a Josie and the Pussycats yeah. movie could be. Well, and the and the funny thing is, I'd love to watch an episode of the cartoon so I could see, like, all right, what was this like before they got their hands on and adapted it? Because this being my only exposure to what this property is, I presume that the cartoon was a clever thing. And I've had people tell me that it was kind of ahead of its time in some ways. I think it was. But I, I don't know. No, I, I'm not all that familiar with it. I know they were kind of it, they were kind of satirizing like bubblegum pop bands. Um, and uh, and Archie, it's very interesting. And uh, I need to ask you something because I'm not familiar with this. But at the time, Archie Comics, and it should be noted that uh, Riverdale Productions was uh, one of the the companies that helped produce this movie because Josie and the Pussycats are, are, are characters from, from Riverdale, from the Archie comics, but Archie comics denounced this movie when it came out because of the adult <laughs> themes and dark subject matter. But man, I'm guessing, what happened when Riverdale came out on the CW then? Did they even announce that? See, <laughs> that's, that's, ex- darker than that's exactly what I wanted to ask you is that <laughs> I, I, when I read that, it, the follow-up comment, I mean, so we're talking 2001 when this movie came out yeah, and yeah. Riverdale, I think came out 2017. Something like, something like that. Yeah. 2017. So, I, I mean, and I, I've not watched an episode of Riverdale. I'm familiar that it's kind of a dark take on Archie Comics. Have you yes. seen Riverdale? I've, I've watched the, I've watched a season and a half of it so okay. far, and it is, it, it yeah, 
it's a lot darker than I'm guessing the comics are. Of course, it's got that CW, it's got that CW look to it. Everybody's super angsty, but also unbelievably <laughs> sexy. Right. Everybody lives in an, everybody lives in a nice mansion. Mm-hmm. But and everybody has intense drama with their parents. That it's like y'all need to work this out. And it it's campy too. The first season I thought was a really good campy, and then the second season I was like, God. It got darker in tone. I was like, I don't know if I like this. So uh, Archie Comics kind of, uh, I think they, you know, they denounced. I, I had the feeling that maybe they denounced this movie when it bombed at the box office, and they were just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I'm sure if this had been a huge success, they would have, they would have absolutely gone behind it because this is a lot less dark than Riverdale is. Like Riverdale, okay. this is, this is like. Barney the Dinosaur compared to what Riverdale does. <laughs> really? All right. In terms of its tone, I mean, it, it, in terms of, like, visuals and stuff, like, the, it's taking itself more seriously with the camp. So... It's just two, it's two completely different approaches to the to the world of the Archie thing. Okay. Um, I might have to check out Riverdale then. Uh, I, it actually, it, it was one, it's one of those movies I always mean to watch, uh, or I mean TV shows, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, but I, I never yeah, I mean, got... And, Please. And the funny thing about it is, like, they've got, well, either Zach or Cody from the Sweet Life shows is Jughead in that show. Now, Jug, does he have that goofy crown? I, I, uh, not that I'm aware. No, is he, he constantly is he constantly eating hamburgers and cheeseburgers? No. Ah, then that's not the Jughead that I know from the comics. No, no, and that, that's the thing. Like, and that's something that this, this show got criticized for was that this is nothing like the comics. Like, you have characters sleeping with each other that would never do it, and character dynamics are different. And I think that initially it was probably done to shock the Archie fans, and then they kind of calmed down on like the shock stuff. Yeah. In terms of these characters shouldn't be doing that with each other, kind of stuff. And I was like, eh, you know what? I, I mean, would you? But would you? But at the same time, the people that are criticizing it would they, would they be tuning in if it was like a direct adaptation of the comic books probably no. not no so no. like <laughs> in the C, in the CW wouldn't produce a direct adaptation of the comic books of course not these of course like, not like i remember like i see these in my local public so it's like a shopping store down here it's like these are like bright little kitschy 60s cartoons where the characters look cute as a button and everything's like all sunshine and rainbows and the CW takes that and they just kind of dip it in darkness. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I mean that's one of the things that I'm sure as a as a film and and, and just like entertainment lover in general, I always appreciate a, a new adaptation, and I try not to judge until I actually see. Um, I mean, if you take some beloved characters and you do something new with it. It doesn't, and I think that's something that people need to remember. It doesn't take away that you still have that older version that you love. If for some reason Riverdale doesn't appeal to you, you could go back and watch the old Archie cartoons. I mean, it's not hurt. It's not hurting anyone. It's just a different interpretation. Well, yeah, and that's that's how I approach. That's how I try to approach a lot of the most of these like remakes of classic things, where it's like people get really. People get really defensive, and hey, I've been guilty of this too, but people get really defensive about, like, you're remaking this thing from my childhood, why are you touching it, just leave it alone, 
and there's all this kind of hate hype about certain movies. Right. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it. Like, like when they were remaking Aladdin, I was like, don't touch that. And then I saw what they did with it. I was like, I like both versions of this. I mean, and that's... And even, even if I didn't like the live action, the cartoon would still be there. Exactly, and I, 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 and I'm glad that you have this. Yeah, no, you and I approach media in a very similar kind of mindset. That, and I, you know, I always go back. I'm trying to think what movie it was, but um, they asked a certain author about his book being adapted into a movie, and he said, "Are, are you afraid of what they're going to do to your book?" And his response was very simple. He goes, "I'm not worried about my book. My book is still there on the shelf." It's you got to take things differently. Like I, I mean, any sort of adaptation, like it's just it's it's something different. And people kind of at the same time, people say they want something different, but at the but then contradictory, they they really want the same thing. Um, oh, and oh. It's, it's it's weird to hear. It's weird when I hear that. And I, and I I've, I've said this too. Like I want I want more daring stuff, but in the same way, I'm like. Okay, if you can put a superhero in it, then that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, that's it. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I think that myself and a lot of other people kind of struggle with like we want new things, but we want things that feel kind of familiar to us. It's like, okay, familiar stars that we know, familiar premises. I mean, I think that's why romantic comedies still live on, because that you know, it's like, hey, we know there are going to be two pretty people that get together at the end of it. It just varies based on what the plot's going to be. Yeah. Um, we should probably get back on a, we've gone off on anyway, a, an yeah, interesting so, so tangent. Anyway, so, 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 back. so anyway, so yeah, but the, I guess the base plot is, is that Josie and the Pussycats are a teen girl, yeah, they're a teen band working in like little, in Riverdale where nobody appreciates them. Alan Cumming picks them up, says, I'm going to make you rock stars. And oh, without they, having hear, heard any of their music, no, without, he without, actually without, calls them the Pussy Hats at the, and the, they're sitting at a Starbucks, and he says, "Ooh, the pussy hats!" And they go, "Pussy cats." He goes, "Oh, that's right, because none of you are wearing hats." And I was just like, "That joke is just chef's kiss to that joke." Chef's yeah, kiss. And, and, and like, but yeah, so he picks them up without listening to any of their music, and you know, so you know, like you know, you know what's going on. Like, they get famous, they have a falling out, this kind of thing. But the, what makes this thing is, like, the jokes and the writing of it is all really funny. Uh, yeah, he straight up sends the uh, Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid to TRL, where they are <laughs> they are sent there to be killed by Carson <laughs> Daly and a cast member from Mad TV. Oh, that's who that guy was? <laughs> yeah. Because I, 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 I did not grow up with Mad TV at all, and so I had no idea who that dude was. But I was like, I know he's somebody famous because they're, like, putting him in here. Yeah. And they're having to do all these, these impressions. One of one of which didn't age well, having a Bill Cosby impression oh, in there. When I got to that, I kind of I kind of uh, like, yeah. oh, that's Ooh. too bad. Um, and the fact and that he I, does his Bill Cosby voice and says, Bill Cosby wants to kill you. I was like, oh, my God, Bill Cosby uh, might really want to kill me. Like, that's scary, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's the other thing. I love, too, when he does Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson. It's like, that's a terrible Chris Rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did like he did he does a good Eddie Murphy though I will give no, but I just yeah, he, does a, he does a good Eddie Murphy yeah but like yeah like you said like the plot I mean this movie it's not about the plot it's about the jokes and the message and like 
the plot is just kind of like side dressing to the fact that we've got some hilarious like this the whole TRL thing is great because oh my God. they walk into like a room where they've got cardboard cutouts of famous people there's like and there's like three yeah, they, they, they have Matt Damon Matt Damon is sitting in there and I, I was trying to figure out who are the other people I didn't Johnny Johnny people. Depp's in there uh oh. Gwen Stefani was in there um, just, you know, people that were popular at the time. But then Ari Spears, who's who's black, walks in and says, Hi, I'm Carson Daly. And they go, You're not Carson Daly. He goes, Yes, I am. Check out my nails. And then I was like, Okay, that joke was all right. And then they just, they nail it because the real Carson Daly shows up. He goes, Dude, you got to stop telling people you're Carson Daly. I was just like... Ugh. And even not knowing who, Car- not growing up with Carson Daly or the Carson Daly show, I was like, all right, he he's a TV guy, and they show him doing his thing later. So even if you didn't know who he was, you could get it. Um, I, but then I love that there's a machine in there that says, uh, Heath Ledger is the new Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and that, that was just sad. I was like, oh, he's you know. I mean, but again, I think that just kind of speaks to how this movie was kind of ahead of its time. It's uh, one of those things, you know, some of the jokes, especially that Bill Cosby joke, that doesn't age well. But, I mean, it kind of like prophesized about how great Heath, Heath Ledger was going to be. I mean, at the t- at the time, in 2001, I probably couldn't tell you a Heath Ledger movie. Other than that, I think he did a Knight's movie, a Knight movie. Yeah, he, he, uh, a Knight's Tale. Right. It's the one where he's like a... I've never seen that. I've heard it. I've heard that's another cult movie that some people really love, and some people are just like, they don't get it. I've liked everything I've seen Heath Ledger in, or like most of what I've seen him in. But yeah, that's funny that they would use him... Yeah, of all he was like hot. He was hot with the te- with the audience. They were airing this out at the time. Yeah, he was a yeah he was a hot commodity after um, Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, that's or, a yeah. A, that's a great that's a great one too. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the it's something that I guess something else that I like about this is that I think the three leads have really good like friends. I call it friend mystery together. Yeah. Like, okay, you, you buy that they've been this band for a long time. It's not just, oh, three actresses saying how much they care about each other. No, you're absolutely right. They definitely have genuine chemistry. Uh, I don't know how well they knew each other beforehand, but I do know that prior to shooting, they spent two weeks together in what, quote, uh, quote unquote, band camp. So they, because neither, none of them were, um, you know, trained musicians, um, not at, like any of them are. Uh, but as someone that, uh, and I, this is one of the things that I nitpick because I'm a musician. I can tell whether or not someone is actually playing c- close to what the music is. Um, uh, of all of them, Tara, Tara Reed is pretty good at mimicking the drums. Uh, the girl playing Josie looks pretty good playing the guitar. I don't know what yeah, the, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened with Rosario Dawson, but I'm looking at the I'm looking at the. Well, I'm just doing this as a musician. I'm looking at her play the bass and what the bass is actually doing. I'm like, eh. but she gets a pass because I think she's a phenomenal actress. 
something that I noticed this time, and anyway, I wasn't thinking about that while I was watching it because I'm not as well versed in music as you probably are. But something that I did notice this time was that in the music sequences, they don't cut to Rosario Dawson as much. No, they. And I was kind of trying to figure out like, why aren't they do? Why aren't they cutting to her as much? It's almost as like. Yeah, it, it, it kind of, I just noticed that I felt kind of off. Like, why aren't you kind to her? And maybe it was because she wasn't, maybe it was because she wasn't as good at mimicking, like, the band's movements or yeah. something. It could be. I, mean, I, I I don't know. Like, I wasn't there, so I don't know why. But, yeah, I did kind of notice, like, you're not cutting as, to her as much as the other two when they're, like, actually with their music kit. Yeah, the, you know, that's interesting. I I wonder if that they did have some like a music advisor on there going. Well, don't don't show Rosario too much because she doesn't look like she's uh really playing. Uh, there's uh, there's there's I mean there's one scene in particular, and again this is me nitpicking as a musician. But I mean uh, what they call it is uh you put you you, you finger the notes or the chords of what you're doing. And there's a scene where she doesn't even have her fingers on any of the strings of the bass. And I'm just like, Oh no, no. Rosario, you're my girl. I love Like I, she is such a, she's a great actress. So I'm going to give, I'll give her a pass, but I did. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think she's great everywhere. I've seen her. Like, I don't think I've ever seen her be bad in anything in my life. I, I have you ever seen the movie Kids from the nineties? No, I know that it, I know that Harmony Korine did it because another reviewer mentioned it, but I have never seen it. Well, Harmony Korine wrote the screenplay. It was actually directed by uh, something Clark, uh, but it was the first. It was the first movie um, that that was her film debut, and she's all the acting in that movie. Uh, it's 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 a very real movie. It's kind of a it's the day in the life of some. Hardcore New York teenagers, um, and I think the director just kind of picked her up off the, uh, the like saw her sitting on her porch and kind of threw her in the movie, and I, that's kind of how she got her start. But she, yeah, like you said, I don't think I've ever seen her give a bad performance. Um, most recently, um, are you a fan of the Daredevil series at all? Yeah, I I've seen I've seen. I'm in the middle of season three right now. Yeah, I, I love her on all the Defenders series. The, the, they made, just made her like the Nick Fury of the of the used to be Netflix Marvel shows. <laughs> right. uh, we could do a yeah a whole show about um, oh, man. the the, the, the no. how they how I I am just amazed that the same company put out something like Daredevil and um, uh, Jessica Jones. And the defenders and Luke Cage, and then something as awful and board, borderline oh, unwatchable, a borderline unwatchable <laughs> Iron Fist. See, another thing, like I, like I heard how bad Iron Fist was, right? And like, I'm following these shows and people's reactions. And I'm like, all right, people are probably just hating, and so I, people are probably just hating on to hate. And then I watched about ten minutes. I was like. This is Arrow if it sucked. Yeah, you know what? That is, this is Arrow if it was garbage, man. Like, you, why do all I, of this? That is such an apt um, 
analogy. You're absolutely right. I mean, they, they basically have the same backstory, don't? Yeah, they're. I mean, Oliver Queen. He's they're a. Both rich, they're both rich guys who went away, learned how to be ninja fighters, and then came back to defend their city, being angsty about it. But then Green Arrow is badass, and Iron Fist is like. I don't even like like if I don't think I'd want to have a cup of coffee with that guy in my local. I see I didn't watch the show like, I watched Defenders and that was the, my first introduction to that character Danny Rand is his name right yeah. yep yeah Danny Rand and I'm like yeah I don't want to watch a show about this guy no he's he, he's fine in Defenders uh, be, uh yeah. mostly because like they're taking the piss out of him in that show <laughs> I noticed that where it was like Man, they just have it like they have a scene where him and Luke Cage are kind of talking about wealth, and I was like, "Wow, we're really gonna address this?" But not really. Like we're gonna. It's nice to have a conversation about that, and then they're just kind of the shows are saying, "Yeah, he sucks. He's lame," even though we centered the entire plot around him. Yeah. Um. Once again, but, we've but got anyway, up. The, once again, we've got. No. But, but, uh, <laughs> but no. Anyway, but the other thing is, I think. This is probably, this is probably like the best utilization I've seen of Tara Reid's kind of acting persona. Yes, you no, you know what? You hit the nail on the head again. Like she, I mean, her character is supposed to be the ditzy blonde, <laughs> which is probably not too far. In uh, I don't know her. I probably shouldn't be throwing shade, no. but. Uh, I don't think it's no. that far off, but you're absolutely right. Like, this is the ultimate ditzy blonde, but she's like a lovable ditzy blonde. Like, you kind of like, like the two characters, like the, uh, Rosario and Rachel Lee Cook. Like, they know that like she does. She's not gonna be the one that comes up with a witty comeback. But I mean, you're you're right. Like, I mean. She's great in this role. Like this, this oh, was this a perfect. The, it's, the, it's the best. This is probably. Yeah, I'm gonna say seriously. This is one of her best performances as an actress to me, because I think it's written well, and I think that she's good at. She's. Hang on, I don't know how these actresses are in real life, but I think she's sure. very, very good at playing this kind of character. Yes. And because this this version of that kind of character is written really, really well, she's really great in it. Yeah, I, 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 we can't. I, I don't think that we, we need to really mention these two. I, I would love, uh, you know, having revisited this movie. Um, I, I do think that Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, I mean, they wrote and directed this. They got. I, I think they kind of, they were hurt the most by this movie bombing. Um, I kind of think uh, Alan Cumming was at the point where it didn't really matter to him. Parker Posey, no. Parker Posey. I mean, this this was just something in her resume. Not to diminish her, her performance, but I don't oh, think shit. that hurt her. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook is quoted as saying that she was pretty much put into movie jail. Like she was kind of like, yeah, because oh. yeah, I don't think I saw her in another movie until The Hateful Eight. She's in real. She's in that. Wait, wait, hold on. Is that her? I don't. Hold on. Let me. I want to say it's her. I haven't seen it in a while. Let me check the hateful eight. Are you thinking of Jennifer Jason Lee? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, that's Jennifer fine. Jason Lee is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, Rachel Lee Cook. I have not. To my 
off the top of my head, I haven't seen her in anything. No, since I this. I looked I I briefly looked at her IMDb thing, and I was just kind of like, I don't recognize any of this stuff. Well, uh, and that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I kind of think back to, you know, when they were making The Faculty, which is another cool movie, and they said, like, they were t- the director was telling, like, all these stars, ooh, you're all going to be, like, major stars, and then only, like, a few of them went on. Yeah. I have to wonder if, I have to wonder if they, if Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee was thinking, this might be my big break, which I think it should have been, and then it just wasn't. Oh. Nope, not Jennifer Jason Lee, the uh, other girl. Sorry. What's her name? <laughs> Gen- uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, she started acting in the in 80s. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. Oh my God, that's embarrassing. Nah, um, no, it's those damn names with three, it's those three named actors. I mean, why can't you just have an easy name to remember like Cher or Madonna? <laughs> no, it's fine. But yeah, but yeah, I think that. But yeah, I think. Like you said, it was too on the the message of it was too on the nose. I think, I think it's on the nose and purposeful about it. But I also think that its message about like think for yourself and don't just consume things is genuine. Yeah. No. You, yes, it is. Um, and I kind of. But uh, again, and I kind of like that they're like, just to be your real self. And then we get this incredible scene where uh, Alan Cumming pulls off oh, his wig to reveal that he's balding, rubs his forehead. He's albino. He's sucking at his gut. And Parker Pose like he re- like I guess him and Parker Posey's characters had gone to school together, and like he he was in love with. But she's it was actually her idea. That her character uh, it was Parker Posey's idea that her character should have a lisp at times. Um, well, and that's great because I think that I love there's a scene where they go into like what she calls her girly room. Yeah, the, girl. the lisp and the, the let's go. Whoever the, the production designer is on this, uh, out with that room. It was one second. I can tell you right now, Jasna Stavanovich. Well, she, well, she knocked her, she, He or she knocked themselves out with that room because it was like I don't know. I just love the design of it, and I liked it. You know, she she goes into the list for a second, then she stops. Yes. Um. Speaking of jokes that didn't age well, though, there's a couple weight jokes that probably wouldn't fly uh, today. Um, I thought yes. they were, I mean, I, I, and again, people kind of just, it's a joke. I, but I think Parker Posey asks, straight up asks Rachel Lee yeah, Cook what, how much, how much do you weigh? Yeah. Just like, yeah, when that happened, I was like, that is so awkward just to, to ask someone, and then she's giving her the massage too, which is just like, yeah, it's it's so, a so it's funny, but it's so bizarre even for the movie. Yeah, that was one of the lines I was like, whoa, that yeah, you wouldn't be able to say that now because like you, I mean, and and I get it, you know, people suffer with who hasn't at one point or a time suffered with either body weight or body dysmorphia, but uh, yeah, there's yeah, some I of the. Think that the 
Sorry, I was just gonna say, I just think, yeah, some of some of the jokes. I mean, I I thought they were funny, but so, some of those jokes might hit a little close close to home for certain people. But you know, some of them would. I mean, I think I think generally the jokes that and the targets they're hitting are they were clever about like not being offensive about it. Cause, like this is in that this is in that time where it's like something about Mary was still big, and so everybody was trying to be like big and raunchy and offensive right and so i like that this movie doesn't really do that like that that weight joke that you mentioned is the only one that's kind of and then the bill cosby thing was unintentionally uh yeah but you I know mean, they, like, other than those two i don't there weren't any jokes that stood out to me as being like offensive like, this has it offensive or this hasn't aged well yeah I mean, however they meant it um i don't know i guess i'm just going to see that like i like the <laughs> The scene where Tara Reed's in the shower and it's covered in McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, and she's singing "If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands." <laughs> she's like scrubbing herself with the with the McDonald's mascot. <laughs> I I love that the subliminal messages like are so just like they have it just like is immediate that like you could just be like you have your mind reprogrammed. It's like I want to go get a Big Mac. But you're a vegetarian. He's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> just like it's. Oh no, yeah, and that's funny. And like, the, I love that. And the one kind of out of character moment, I guess, for Val is like she gets mind controlled too. But he's like, I want some Reeboks or something. Yeah. Like, oh. Man, well, yeah, you're standing two feet from it, so I guess that's why it worked in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, I mean. Uh, uh, this is not a movie where you no. get too hung up on the no, plot. No, because... no, 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 it's, it's absolutely not. And I think, again, I think it is, I think it is hilariously nefarious. Yes. It, that's what the plan is. Like, this would actually be a good business plan if somebody <laughs> was crazy enough to fund it. Uh, like, I, yeah. thought about, I thought about, like, are they putting subliminal messages in Spider-Man No Way Home, which is why people have seen it enough times for it to reach a billion dollars? I, ooh, you know, I wouldn't put it past well, Hollywood, no. but I love that there's no, a not, no, not really, but it's like it's yeah. just a sig- mere suggestion of it in a in a movie plot. I and I like that there's um there's a couple. I mean, it's not subliminal because it comes straight up on your screen, but they're talking about how subliminal messages. The the politicians <laughs> like, well, we're gonna pull the cord on your project because we find subliminal messages work better in movies than in music. And it just, it just flashes on your screen. It says Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever. And (laughs) there's a scene where in the background, it's on a screen. Um, I think that this is one of the scenes where they're discussing the subliminal messages, but on one of the uh, screens it actually says in the background, can't hardly rate, can't hardly wait is underrated. And I was just like, "Good for you! Good for you! Shouting out, you shout out your own movie well, there! Good for you!" And the other, and the other, another joke like that that's just like a little background thing on the screen for a second is, um, during their musical uh, rise to fame that happens over the course of a week. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you can see like when they're rising up the charts, you can see one of the newspaper headlines is. Uh, Cameron Diaz, Lou and Barrymore to star in Josie movie. Wow! <laughs> yes, the cast of Charlie's Angels. All right. There's. And all I could think of, and all I could think of, was like, why is Lucy Lou playing Rosario Dawson? 
Uh, yeah, there, there's, that that, no, that raises yeah, some question. <laughs> yeah, but no, there's just a, but no, there's just like a, but no, there's just like so many little things like that where you have to pay attention to it to notice them. Yeah, so like they don't they don't push it in your face too much. You no, notice it or you don't. There's a montage moment, and I just saw this in my most most recent <laughs> reviewing of the movie. There's a scene where, of all characters, it's Tara Reed's character. She's reading a book that says, like, 10 steps to help with <laughs> anger management. I'm like, really? <laughs> the ditzy blonde needs help with anger management? I'm like, okay. Well, like, like that, 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 that character needing help with anger management is funny. Yes, yes. Um, um, no, but yeah, I just... I just love the energy to this thing, and you can tell like how much fun everybody's having making it, and they're playing it campy but straight. Uh, speaking of playing it uh, campy, the du jour uh, band, <laughs> one of their big songs is Backdoor Lover. Oh, I noticed that. <laughs> that was like... Wow, okay. See, that, yeah, see, that was the thing that I didn't notice as a kid at all. And then I got to a teenager, and I was like, Wow. Just, they oh, went wow, there. Okay. They, they went there with Dujour's Backdoor <laughs> Lover. Like, right, right at the start of the movie, too. So anybody that bought their, like, seven-year-old is like, Ugh, can we get refunds? Yeah. <laughs> between, between that and the scene of Tara Reid holding the sign that says "Honk if you love pussy." Yeah, I would be like, "Okay, this is not a movie for kids." Um, so, and I think I mean, like the like you were saying, the marketing for this was kind of a mess. But I could see this is a tough movie to market because, like I said, neither one of us is the demographic, but we're the kind of people that would enjoy this movie. Um, but. Yeah, and I and the thing is about it, like that, I think the problem is that, you know, you look at even at the box art for it, it's just them standing there with their guitars, right? And you're like, oh, if I didn't know what this was, I would just presume it was like Bratz the movie or something, you know? Yeah, like, not, no, nothing here. It's pretty gene- It's pretty generic. It's it's. Uh, and I like I said, so this came out in two thousand one. Yeah, I this was I was. A teenager. This was not my. Uh, I was a in my late teens, so this was definitely not on my my radar as something that I would see. And um, but I gotta say, what I love about doing this show is that every time that I tackle a movie, I I always end up finding another movie to 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 cover, and um, I can totally see why this movie has a cult following because. It's so much smarter than what the title and the cover art would give you um, kind of like reference to. Like, I wouldn't think that, like you said, it's very generic. I'm looking at my DVD cover right here. They're in a white background. They're all, they're just standing, like it's the three of them standing there. Um, I wouldn't, this is not something I would have picked up unless it was recommended to me. And I'm glad it did because... It's so much, there's so much more. And again, that's just like, don't judge a book by its cover because, I mean, oh. this movie is far smarter than um, than Tara Reid's character, I guess we'll say. Oh. Well, <laughs> well, and, and also about Tara Reid's character, I like that they, they throw in little moments where she does actually say smart things. 
Yeah, yeah, they do. No, it's they, they she's do. not. And that's the other thing, though. No. Like, she, even though she's kind of like the airhead one, she's not the butt of any jokes of anything like that. No, so it's not. Yeah, I like that they're not. They're not constantly throwing shade no. at how dumb she is. I mean, they do a little bit. It's not like she it's she doesn't exist just to be the butt of dumb blonde jokes. No, and another thing that I like that this movie it's not cruel in its humor. It's it, no. and it could be. Um and I, I, I gotta respect that that it's this like I said, this movie is very clever in its humor, which I gotta I, I appreciate. I'd much rather have a, a, an intelligent joke with a, a with some strong you know to give you something to think about than some raunchy throwaway gross out humor you know um well, yeah and this and, and even as me like somebody who likes raunchy like gross out humor if it's done well i this to me was i like this because it's not like it's not hitting below the belt a lot of the time no. they're not going for the crude jokes that they could be i mean other than the other than the numerous like pussy jokes at the beginning, they're not really playing into that, which they very easily could have been like making reference to that throughout. And I'm happy it's gonna get out of the way early. Yeah, they could have easily. I guess they call it punching down. They could have easily kind of like you said, gone for some below the belt humor, and it could have been an ongoing running joke about pussycat and like it would have gotten old you like you would have been like oh it was funny the first three times i heard it enough movie we get it like 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 they 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 did some they did some clever wordplay here and there and like then the rest of it is just like i mean there's another bizarrely funny scene where alan cumming is trying to convince uh rachel lee cook not to not to go out to see her uh, future oh, boyfriend. Alan yeah. Alan M., who's just like, I love that they're like, she's like, oh, I, I I, convinced them to let you come because you're my guitar tech. Yeah. It's like, oh, we, we just need him in the movie, I guess. We, we need the love interest, but there's a scene that I love where he's like, oh, the record company just called and his show's been canceled. She went, oh, I should call him. <laughs> And he went, oh, there was a message down at the front desk from him that's saying not to call him. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just one of these things that he just keeps going and going. And it's, it's just so absurd. But like, I like that absurdist kind of humor. And it's, it's very well written. It's very clever in its, um, yeah. in its humor. It is. And I, I love that. Like we, it's funny. Like we cut to him as he's singing there. At, at this at this bar where he is and he's like hey, this song is dedicated to a girl that isn't here uh it's called you know i wish you felt the same or something like that yeah and then you cut cut to missy pile just sitting there in the back with a sign that reads i'm with the band and then she yells some guy's getting up to go to the bathroom and she's like hold it until he's done and the guy's like okay <laughs> like yeah it's one of those it's one of those things where like it was just like one of those things. Like I'm like, oh, this scene could be boring, and then all of a sudden, Missy Pyle shows up, and you're just like, okay, we're back to the ridiculousness. And well, Missy Pyle just kind of shows up in any scene that otherwise could be boring, and just kind of injects her own strangeness in there. Like the scene where they're in the like they're in the bathroom putting their makeup on together, and she's just kind of standing there in the background <laughs> giving yes. her good looks while they're deciding whether or not to go with alan coming 
and you know, in the scene where they figure out the, what the machine is, and she's like, "Pepsi One is the new Diet Coke." <laughs> yeah, or whatever it was, and I was like, "Wait, is Pepsi One a real thing that existed?" Um, was it? I don't know. I know Crystal Pepsi was a thing for a while. Oh um, God, Crystal. And I don't know there was a new Coke, but. Um, like I said, there's like 73 different companies like scattered throughout this. I think one of the most interesting things, and it's kind of like I, I this kind of um, aligns itself with kind of how the movie did at the box office, is there's a lot of shots of the Sega Dreamcast like everywhere. And the Sega Dreamcast, I think, was discontinued like a week after this movie came out. In theaters, so that was just like, yeah. So that's just like a that's a bad omen right there. So I think think another I think another telling line in this about its box office take is that the and again this is like at the very end we're spoiling everything at the very end of the movie Rachel Lee Cook is out they're out in front of this crowd before the concert and she's like, "We have a new song for you. It's okay if you like it, and it's okay if you don't." So it's almost like the movie admitting. I know I'm weird and some people aren't going to like me. And I kind of respect that. (laughs) Yeah, this movie's kind of like, I mean, now that, I mean, it would be interesting. I know that it's on, it's Rhea gone critical appraisal and it's Rhea gone, like it's, it's developed a very loyal cult audience. And I know that they, there was a 20th anniversary um, and all the, uh, the, the girls all reunited to do a video. And I know, um, Hopefully the um the writers and directors I, I think they continue to work I don't think I I, th- I think one of them's doing a Netflix series, but um before we we start wrapping things up here because we we've, we've been talking for well over an hour about Josie and the Pussycats of all things, a couple things <laughs> a couple things I wanted to mention that some of the people that uh auditioned for this movie particularly for uh, Rosario Dawson's role. Uh, Beyonce, Aaliyah, and TLC's Lisa Left Eye Lopes. Um, so that was, and I think there were some pretty big names being thrown around, uh, particularly who's going to play Josie. Um, but yeah, this 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 movie they had high expectations for this movie, and and, and unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I mean at least uh, at least like. Beyonce and I believe it's pronounced Alia. They were like actual. They could they could sing, so I could see why they were considered. Yeah, but the writers and directors talked about it, and they um they said that they were all uh they they all auditioned well, but they wanted someone. They wanted to focus more on the comedy aspects more so than the and on to the musical background. Yeah. So I mean I can, and given the fact that uh. Beyonce's acting in that Austin Powers movie, I wasn't a particular fan of. I don't think she, I think she's a phenomenal performer. She's got a great voice. She's an incredible singer. Eh, stick with singing. Yeah. Stick with singing. Well, you know. Yeah, I've, I've seen. I don't think she's a bad actress, but she's not the best. I think I think singing is definitely something that she is stronger at doing. And speaking of singing, uh, I do want to mention that it was. Kay Hanley from the uh, indie alternative rock group Letters to Cleo, who does the singing voice um, 
for Josie. So I want to give her a shout out because she's got a good set of pipes on her. And I'm, I, the songs are catchy. The songs are good. And like I said, the, there is some really there's some real strong talent behind the uh, the the music here. Um, again, I mean, the, I could I totally get why this movie has a cult following. And if you've listened to me and Kevin talk for almost an hour and a half here about it uh if you haven't watched josie and the pussycat since it came out or you haven't watched it at all i would i give this i recommend this movie because i i think uh if especially if you like a good smart uh well written well produced beautifully shot uh just straight jab at the music industry um Unfortunately, this movie probably, I mean, this is definitely a movie of its time, though. Like, this movie, like, smells like 2001. Like, you could just, <laughs> it's just, like, there. <laughs> it's permeating yeah, in my it's, nostrils. It, it, it's, it's, like you said, it was Sega Genesis stuff, which I didn't notice because I didn't go out playing that system. But, it's like, yeah, if there's a Sega Genesis on prominent display in your movie, you can kind of guess what era it's in. Yeah, and this was a I I I don't know if TRL is still a thing. Um, but See, the last time I heard that the last time TRL was relevant to me was when they made the Drake and Josh go Hollywood movie back in like two thousand six or something or two thousand seven. So yeah, the uh, yeah I, that, that that movie ends with a TRL performance, and you're like. What even is that? Yeah, that's uh, one of those things. I'm sure that in hindsight, there's there's certain uh, things that the writer and director would have uh, would have changed. But I mean, I kind of like I I kind of like it because it's kind of uh, reminiscent of more some of the more pop culture aspects of a time in my life where I was an angsty teen where I wouldn't have cared as much, which is pri why I, I I didn't seek this movie out at the time it came out but um i i i dig it i dig this movie a lot this movie is uh it, it's it's a lot more fun and funny than I, I than i thought it was going to be so um any final thoughts kevin about josie and the pussycats yeah yeah i think i think this is an i think this is a really fun funny and very clever movie i think that everybody is playing it up just enough and you know if you can if you like you know smart you know smart satires of the music industry that are very direct i would say definitely check this out it, also if you're a fan of anybody in the cast it's some of their strongest work yeah uh i mean this movie is worth just the worth the price price of admission just for alan cumming and uh parker posey I would yeah, love like I grew, yeah I grew up seeing part with uh, with Alan Cumming as the dude from Spy Kids and so when I saw him in this it was like that's awesome yes he's such a <laughs> I remember seeing him he was in a James Bond movie I think it was Goldeneye oh, yeah yeah that, it was Goldeneye that's what he was in and then I saw him in Son of the Mask a lot which I wish I could get the hours back I spent watching that as a kid I I've only watched humorous. Uh, reviews of that movie. That movie uh, looks like a train wreck. Um, <laughs> it's 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 bad. If it ever develops, if it ever develops a cult following, I will be a little bit amazed. Uh, you and me both, my friend. Um, if it's if Alan Cumming can't save your movie, then it's it's not it's not salvageable. I mean, just no. just pull the 
just pull the plug right there. Um, great acting, great cast. Um, again, I want to thank my um, my guest here this evening covering Josie and the Pussycat. I, I needed a professional, and this man hit it out of the park. Thank you so much. Kevin the Critic, um, why don't you hit us up with your your, your Twitter and your, your webpage here so people can check you out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find my you can find my full written reviews on kevinthecritic.com. dot uh, My Twitter is at kevin underscore the critic, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at kevin the critic. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. I hope this is just the first time we have you on the show. I'd love to have you on in the future. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love, I'd love, to be on. I'd love to be on again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. We, uh, we do the show for you, listeners. And again, we are at Cult Film Comp on Twitter. We're on Instagram, the Cult Film Companion. Join the Facebook page. Uh, I love getting movie recommendations. I've gotten some really good ones, so please keep sending them our way. And please show my guest Kevin the Critic some love. Check out his reviews. Follow him on Twitter because this man will just like I said. I love the I love that he reviews recent movies and then he pulls out something like uh, it was actually I think your tweet about this movie that made me want to ask you to to come on the show. I was like this this would be perfect. I mean, so please follow Kevin the critic on Twitter for him. And for me at the Chris at the Cold Film Companion, we wish you all a good night and check out Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs>